Hello, welcome everybody to Revive Health's Daily Briefing Live for Thursday, May 7th, 2020. This is our 30-minute review of the latest, most important news, resources, and advice for health system marketers and communicators dealing with the COVID-19 crisis. I'm Chris Bevelo, Health Systems Practice Lead at Revive Health and your host for the show. I am joined by Chase Kleckner, who is Senior Marketing Manager at Revive Health and our show's producer. Hello, Chase. Hey, Chris. Always good to see you. Good to see you, too. And we are also joined by Kevin Holland, who is Director of Analytics at Revive Health. Kevin leverages analytical skills to build out environments to make smart, informed, evidence, evidence? evidence-based decisions. In addition to data analysis and engineering, he is a champion of data visualization design and agile thinking, which he employed at several Fortune 100 organizations and is now doing that for our health system clients across the country. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chase. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Looking forward to diving in here in a little bit. I think we get, we have, we're going to have a lot to cover, so I'm going to try to get to uh, get to you as quickly as possible here. Uh, as usual, if you've joined us before, you know that we cover the latest news on COVID-19 and how it relates to marketing communications for hospitals and health systems. We'll highlight a couple of resources. Uh, most importantly, we're going to share what we're seeing and hearing uh, across the industry. We want this to be an interactive session as much as possible. So please, if you have a question for Kevin or myself or Chase, you can put that in the Q&A queue at the bottom of the Zoom uh, window. And we'll get to any or as many questions as possible at the end of the show. Uh, you can also use the chat function to talk to other attendees. Chase will be using that to post links. So you can see what we're talking about as we reference content. But if you want us to answer a question, make sure it shows up in the Q&A queue. Um, remember to subscribe as a podcast. This is a podcast. Subscribe at iTunes. Uh, search for Revive Health Daily Briefing Live. And as you know, we post a video recording of each episode by the end of the day. You can find that at our website at thinkrevivehealth.com slash COVID-19. That is our communications hub for these recordings and many other things. A um, couple other notes before we dive in. We are not experts on COVID-19, so not a place to come for medical or scientific advice. Uh, but as you're going to hear, we have opinions on how marketers and communicators might want to manage the COVID-19 crisis. Just keep in mind your own um, situation for your organization and your community. Everybody's obviously dealing with this in unique ways. Uh, so make sure you use that context as you uh, apply what we're talking about. So let's dive in. The first thing we do, <laughs> excuse me, look at the news and we look at case count. I'm still dealing with this thing, Chase. You believe it? I cannot believe it. I mean, gosh, yeah, you're close to your. Are you passing your ninety days? No. So again, I've said this before, but if you haven't yeah. heard it, I've been dealing with this kind of tightness in my chest and cough for three months now. Um, quickly, I will tell you that I finally got frustrated by it yesterday, Chase, and I called to say, "Look, something's oh, going yeah. on here. Um, you know, maybe I got some kind of bronchitis thing going on, or whatever." And of course, I had to go through kind of the screening of the nurse. And because I have shortness of breath and cough, I qualified for a COVID test. So I got a COVID test yesterday. Um, the odds of this thing being positive are about one in a million. I would be the first patient ever to have COVID for three months. Uh, so pretty sure it's not that. Uh, 
but hopefully that'll just knock that off the table and I can, I've already got like a bunch of medications prescribed by my doctor as a result. So hopefully after today, I will not have coughing spasms on the podcast. <laughs> no promises. Um, so back to uh, looking at the, the situation in terms of COVID-19 cases and deaths. We do that to help keep a perspective on uh, just how we think about all of this as we continue to move through the crisis. Uh, we use the Johns Hopkins tool. And right now, we look at the Johns Hopkins tool globally. There are 3,784,085 cases. Uh, and globally, we have 264,679 deaths. When we look at the United States specifically, we're at 1,231,992 cases and 73,573 deaths. Um, we, we have now seen a big uptick um, in deaths that was starting to decline um, from where we're kind of we're at with the peak, but it jumped back up. Uh, I think there could be a couple of reasons for that. One could be, again, we're reopening, um, which uh, may be causing problems. And also there are some other, there are some markets that are starting to um, recast their counts in terms of deaths. Um, like New York did at, at one point in April, where they went back and said, look, we, the, these people weren't tested for COVID, but we're 100% we're sure that's what they had. Um, and so I think some of that is also causing an uptick. Um, in the end, though, it's a more accurate depiction. So it's important to pay attention to. Uh, another piece of news we wanted to hit on super quick was a, a post I saw on LinkedIn. It's actually from Bain and Company. So it's not a news story, but it's their own research. The headline says, US healthcare providers face hurdles to resuming elective procedures. And actually we're gonna hit on this uh, a little bit more in a second with another resource for you. Um, so basically they surveyed uh, physicians, nurses, other staff, uh, and nearly 60% report their organizations are not yet equipped to manage the return to elective care. Uh, reasons given are uh, about 47% said they're not where they need to be with COVID-19 testing. Uh, about 25, 24% said there wasn't sufficient PPE. Uh, concerns about managing volume or high teens and social distancing policies. Uh, and what's meant by that is we've seen this pop up in a couple other stories uh, where because of social distancing, you have to have a larger spread in your waiting room. So you can't have as many people waiting there. Uh, there may be situations in the past where you've been able to quickly turn, say imaging and scanning um, procedures where somebody just you know comes right after the next person. Now we're having to slow either um, where people are waiting in smaller waiting rooms uh, or even to clean equipment. So those kind of things are just slowing patient flow um, as well. So any, Kevin, anything you wanna to add to that? I don't know if you had a chance to look at that. <laughs> no, I haven't had it yet, but that was something we certainly considered um, back in my time in HCA is looking at um, th flow throughput from the emergency room decisions um, from uh, an ED perspective is incredibly important and especially any upstream uh, slowdowns uh, where you can place patients in either um, observation rooms that are outside of the ED um, uh, set periods inside of an ICU, they always flow back downstream. So that is one of the major problems. If you fill up our ICU units, 
you're then forced to place people in beds in the hall. And that's, that's a tough place to be. It's really hard to deliver quality care. And especially if um, that hallway is a throughput with a lot of people that aren't in PPE during that time period, you've now uh, considered that hallway to be a uh, COVID-19 hotspot um, yeah. that is now filtered to the rest of the hospital. And you quickly, you now don't have an observation room for somebody that you want to leave the ED environment and get them to go to a room, they now are put in a hallway and it eventually just spills backwards. So absolutely, if you have um, these types of issues in the ICU unit, not only do you have to take into account the PPE that's needed in that unit, but you've now spread those high level of PPE needs across the rest of the hospital. And that is flowing uh, directly to those emergency room doors and continuing outside. Yeah, yeah. So the domino effect of this, it seems like it's such a simple, small thing, but you can just see it ripple through in the way you described. Um, and actually, I think it's a great, it's a great segue to um, uh, one resource we want to share with you. Actually, just came through today from Alan Shoebridge. Um, many of you know Alan. He he's at he's a marketer at Salinas Valley Medical Center. Uh, he's also a former guest on this show. Uh, and he has a new blog post out called COVID-19 Reset, the 80% Healthcare Economy. And he's riffing off of um, some commentary from Scott Gottlieb, uh, who's a physician who served in the Trump administration as commissioner of the FDA. Um, and he's basically, Scott Gottlieb's kind of positing that, look, based on where things are at, um, we're looking at what he calls an 80% economy meaning a lot of stuff can go forward, but a lot of, some stuff can't. And even the stuff that can go forward is going to be kind of restricted. So you can think of things like um, air travel, right? We're not, even if air travel is still possible, it's not like folks are going to flood back in nor fill planes anytime soon. Um, and so Alan is kind of taking that saying, boy, that sounds like it would apply to the healthcare system as well in terms of are we going to get to 100% or is there going to be something shorter of that. He cites two things. He cites our own research, which Kevin's going to dive into deeper here in a second, um, about the fears people have of coming back, as well as some research from NRC that talks more broadly about um, financial fears that people have. Because of course, um, I, I haven't seen the news, but Thursday's the day they released the, um, the unemployment. I think it went up another 3 million today. Um, and so obviously huge concerns about the economy, about unemployment, about people being insured, um, and, and we know, um, coming from the, the Great Recession, as an example, um, that as inflexible as healthcare seems to be, it definitely does impact people when they are financially stressed. They will put off procedures, they will cut their pills in half, they will do a lot of different things. Uh, and so those reasons, combined with what we just talked about, um, you know, the, the challenges of just reopening 100%, um, are probably going to put us at somewhere short of 100 for some time to come. So uh, Chase has posted the link to Alan's blog. Definitely recommend checking that out. Also, don't forget to check out, as I mentioned before, our communications hub at thinkrevivehealth.com slash COVID-19. Um, you can find uh, recordings of the show. You can find uh, our biweekly roundups of intelligence and advice that we're putting out. And then also our latest survey results, which again, we've got Kevin here. So another great segue to just dive in. Um, given your role, Kevin, you've, you've, you've done a lot in terms of the work we've done with research. 
-hmm. and let's just start where, you know, one of the things we've been hitting on, let's start with the concerns people have about returning to clinical settings and what we've been seeing. Yeah. So uh, a lot of this research work was being driven by the fact that um, we spend a lot of time talking about consumers into our, in our clients kind of in market. We really want to understand where these concerns coming from, how can we better understand them, where are people getting information and what might be uh, impacting their decisions or at least the thought processes to returning to their healthcare behaviors. So we've done now uh, concurrently three surveys, two week time periods between them. We're gonna be continuing this into the future to continue to get a long-term and timeline as view on this uh, survey process. We're surveying 700 uh, adults across the US um, on a kind of really useful tool through a, a partner. We use Polefish, no uh, kickback from that there. We've really enjoyed working with them. Uh, but one thing we've found is that uh, over 56% of consumers are concerned about the risk of getting sick from other patients and about the cleanliness of facilities. Um, so that's a major new concern. That's more, uh, more of a concern than accessing their doctor. That's more of a concern than even paying for uh, their care. It's more of a concern about um, getting time in person or doing it virtually. Uh, so this really is a pressing issue, whether it impacts the willingness of those to actually go it is certainly top of mind and top of mind of our surveys. 76% uh, of the consumers we have surveyed, um, and this was true at 70% and 72% for the times prior, are planning on altering uh, how they seek care in the coming months, whether the, in the next month after they lift restrictions in their state or their area, uh, all the way up to three to six months after. They are planning on altering how they seek care. They're thinking about deferring uh, the regular care that they seek. They're thinking about, um, they're just concerned about how they would do it. So uh, that is definitely something that is top of mind for our individuals. I'm sure it's top of mind for anybody on this phone. Be empathetic and, and think about your position. Aren't you a little bit concerned with how you're going to go uh, to the grocery store and who you're going to interact and touch with uh, and think about the patients in your environments? How do we reassure them uh, to, uh, to know that it's safe uh, to return and that we have a high standard of quality care and that we're there for them. And over yeah, the, the last three, oh, go ahead. Chris. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. Over the last three surveys, um, one of the things we really saw is that consumers are increasingly considering quality, which is almost always a standard. So that was kind of unsurprising. What was really surprising is the consistent um, priority of expertise, research, um, and uh, the cleanliness of a facility as being a major driving factor above convenience and access that we normally see, above um, concern about in-network cost, above recommendations. So uh, that is something that we are really consistently seeing and want to talk to uh, with um, those in this kind of environment. Yeah, so can you still hear me okay, you guys? Yeah. My microphone just, I think I <laughs> moved it and it, it's still showing up really cool but it's not connected in any way. So <laughs> as long good. as you can still hear me, good. Um, I, the implications of this are just so huge because really we've already seen, you know, evidence, data that shows that there's been a significant drop in people seeking emergent care during this crisis, right? Um, and so really you can almost phrase this as a second healthcare crisis. You've got the COVID crisis that, that everybody is so focused on understandably, but that's causing a second crisis of people unable or unwilling 
to seek and, and get the care they need. Um, and it's for some of the reasons we're talking about. And so it's so important to understand this stuff uh, and understand how we're going to overcome it. Uh, because it, it is, there's no silver bullet. There's no one thing. Um, but, it, you know, e even if we get to a place where we're 100% open, um, that doesn't mean people are 100% ready to see us. Yeah, so, absolutely. So let's, let's talk about brands. Um, yeah. You know, how brands can kind of approach this. We've talked about that some. Um, mm -hmm. But obviously the data is driving a lot of how we're thinking about this. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a really large opportunity for brands to reset um, and to establish a, a connection and build trust in times of this crisis. Um, now, we're not advocating for leveraging this in a kind of a self-serving way, but it's part of that reality of um, people are feeling comfortable going back to a facility and they're, they're most comfortable at hearing about that from their doctors saying they're safe and why do they care about their doctors? Because they trust them. Uh, why are they listening to the CDC and their local hospital over media, even friends and family or their insurance companies? Because they trust them more. So because uh, consumers in these types of markets, in these types of large life events are much more likely to try new brands. We've known this for a fact of there's many studies in the marketing world going back of how consumers are much more likely to try new brands in the size of a major life event when a marriage, divorce, new job, or birth of a child happens. I can tell you that for most of us, this is a major life event. Um, we are seeing a pretty big shift. Not only is uh, people are furloughed, losing jobs, their entire lifestyles are changing, um, where they go, what they do, how much time they're spending at home. A lot of, there's a lot of positives out of it, but also a lot of negatives. And I think at a whole, this is a major life event. Um, a survey kind of conducted by Work and Bain years ago found that 8% of uh, consumers had recently switched brands uh, at, you know, in general at any given point in time. But that went up to uh, a fifth, 21% of consumers who had recently experienced like a major life event. Mm -hmm. uh, now, obviously, there's going to be a lot of surveying that goes on after the fact for this instance. Um, but taking into in account this knowledge that this is a pretty major thing, there is that opening in this time period where people are reassessing um, who they listen to, who they trust, and who they go to. Yeah, it, it, it's, again, the, we talk a lot about rapid recovery um, and the need to, now that you can open your services back up, for the most part, most systems in this country can, not all of them, um, because we're still kind of moving through this um, state by state. But the need to get out there and, and first retain those patients who were scheduled but canceled or postponed, uh, but then also the opportunity to go out and find new ones. And, and that, is, that is a large reason why there is that, that opportunity for, for starters, like we talk about in many cases, market share has been, been reset to zero because nobody's doing these things. Um, and of course, not universally, but in different areas, you can take things like hip replacements um, mm -hmm. as an example. Uh, and so to assume that everybody's just going to go right back to where they were is a, is a, you know, a pretty risky assumption to make as a health system. And given that kind of data of how people are open, um, it is, it, you just can't, you can't miss this opportunity to try to go out there. And especially if you have something to offer, if you can open, open quickly, if you have virtual visits to a greater degree, um, there's just all kinds of ways to get at that. 
Um, but as people are put off for the care they need because we can't open up 100% all at once, that's another reason why this opportunity is there. So combine that with just in general, to your point, Kevin, people are yeah. open to change. And mm -hmm. now there's actually a, a, a reason to kind of push them to think about it specific to a procedure. Mm -hmm. uh, that we're, you know, I don't think we've seen that kind of combination of, of opportunity in my lifetime. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of a once in a, once in a lifetime chance here. Yeah. And we're asking also brands, you need to be coming across as empathetic and trustworthy or some things that really resonate during these times. Um, not uh, deflecting people's concerns or fear. Over 80% of customer consumers in our survey are concerned about being infected by other patients. They have uh, concerned about the personal and psychological toll, um, well, the psychological toll on their personhood as well as their family of this pandemic and are concerned about accessing health services. They have major real concerns and you need to come across as a trustworthy source and we would certainly encourage brands to do so by consistently having a message of like, we are committed to uh, your care, the care of our patients, and certainly the well-being of our staff. And those are the front line uh, that are really important in this time period. So people are much more willing to turn to these trusted brands to lead this movement. And long-term consumers will positively remember the brands they felt had their, uh, had their um, best kind of concerns in mind, helped those most in need. Uh, during this time period. So we would encourage, this is not necessarily a time to fully scale back, especially on the long-term brand instances. This is certainly a time to, um, to lean into that, but making sure we're doing that in a very empathetic way with our con uh, the consumers and patients we have, as well as with the employees we have and coming across as somebody that's worthy of a consumer's trust. Yeah, I think there's a really important nuance in what you're talking about too, and that is, in this time, one of the dynamics or dimensions of building empathy and, and trust is not self-promoting, not trying to push yourself out there as better than others. We know that competitiveness, competitive differentiation is important in this industry. It always has been. Um, but one of the reasons why hospitals and health systems have been lifted up in the way they have is of course the amazing work they're doing but also people are viewing them as a social system yep. part of what this country needs um, to get through this crisis not as companies not as competitive choices they're seeing mm -hmm. you know that's why you know folks are just overall going there, right? And that's why mm -hmm. also we've been recommending and seeing health systems going out there in this way um, that's not in a competitive way, not trying to mm -hmm. say like we're better than whoever else. We're starting to see that seep back in though. And mm -hmm. we've already in a couple of our, the markets that we look at closely, seen some providers get out there with, with chest beating kind of, hey, we're ready and we're the best and we are the first and all this kind of stuff. Um, I think it's too soon for that. We're still in a place where people, you know, mm -hmm. as soon as we start going back to that, you're going to almost by definition lose some of the power you've gained by being seen through a different light. So be really careful because we're, I think we're still in a place where, you know, being seen as empathetic, being seen mm -hmm. as trustworthy is not being seen as competitive. We'll get there eventually, but I think it's too soon. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Um, want to hit on so Miriam Sidibe put out a really great podcast on uh, HBS about 
the impact and mo motive or how marketers can drive social impact as well as uh, profits through their their view and she had a major she's had a major role in advising and working with companies over long periods of time and she said that there's moments where having brand superior is key uh, but i would say in this particular instance i totally agree with her it's about showing that all brands are equal and all of them are trying to be innovative dynamic in addressing issues and social impact issues um, that are upping people's behaviors and an impact on the 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 industry as well as the world writ large so think of um she specifically mentioned with uh, Life Buoy, which has done a 10-year campaign of trying to increase hand washing across the world in, uh, you know, uh, developing countries in Africa and Asia. It's been tremendously successful because it's been a multi-year, decade-long campaign. They're built around these positive social changes, consistent messaging, and deep partnerships with NGOs. And I think healthcare industry is still kind of there, and you this might not be the time for brand superiority. These COVID-19 marketing campaigns, I would not classify them in the same way. They need to be done. They are important. We've got to address uh, kind of the elephant in the room, uh, but also this does highlight the need for those long-term, maybe decade-long mission-driven social change initiatives that I think healthcare brands are primed to support uh, long-term. Yeah, there's actually a question from the audience I want to get to because I think it hits it hits on all this. It's building from what we're talking about. Um, the question is, based on what you guys are talking about, can you comment on providers, hospitals, health systems, labs using testing as a marketing pitch uh, in the in the the attendees market of San Francisco? There's a lot of messaging um, that's kind of saying come and get tested, and so I think again it's nuanced because. Offering tests is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's really good to let people know that tests are available, um, that they're easy to get, that it's not a big challenge, because we know that has not been the case <laughs> over the last couple of months. Um, when I went and got my test, it was, it was a drive-up thing. Um, I scheduled ahead of time. It took like three minutes. It was, it was great, right? Um, mm -hmm. But I don't, they did not talk to me in this way. Of course, I didn't see an ad. Um, mm -hmm. But I think where, you, where it starts to get dangerous is if you're doing that and in any way it's coming off as, as you're trying to position yourself against other places. Like mm -hmm. we have more places to get tested than any hospital <laughs> in, the, in the Bay yeah. Area. That kind of yeah. thing is what we're mm -hmm. talking about, right? Yeah. Um, because you may have more places, yeah. but it's that comparison um, that I think it's, again, this is super nuanced, but mm -hmm. it feels too soon for that. Um, yeah. particularly with something like COVID testing, because yeah. it's related directly to this pandemic. Yeah, with the you know lack of capability or of testing and contact tracing capability and that larger discussion, and the fact that we've seen from our consumer surveys, uh, initially 70% didn't have enough information about where to get tested. And that's still held true. Over the past six weeks, 68% of our respondents say they don't have enough information about where to get tested. So I think any valid, true information about how to get tested, how to get tested consistently, how to get tested for when you are not symptom or severely symptomatic is a good direction. But I totally agree, Chris, the, that nuance of saying, we have testing and we'll do these things, or we test faster, we test better. Right. And um, we, you know, they're you know, this competitor isn't telling the truth about their testing or there's some other type of nuance. What we just need is more testing out there. And I think we're still at that stage of just offering it and offering it truthfully. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it, I'll just say from my personal experience, it did, you know, I made a joke um, in our, in our Slack on, you know, the agency yesterday and that, you know, when, when I called in, you know, they, they took me through all the screening questions and it was like, well, you, you hit two. So you're qualified for testing. And the two were again, kind of shortness of breath and coughing among like maybe eight or 10, right? Like loss of smell and fever and all this other stuff. You know, when I, when I first tried to get this taken care of in late March, um, like I joked, basically I had to have like flown to Wuhan, China, handcuffed to a COVID patient to qualify to get a test. Like the, mm. the bar was so high as to be ridiculous because there just weren't enough tests. Um, mm. Now it's flipped the other way where like LA is like, hey, anybody can get a test. Just come on in mm. and get it. Um, and so making sure people understand all that is more important than, than competing um, mm. on that point. So I think that's a great place for us to wrap. It's a perfect mm. ending. Thank you for the question um, from, our, from our attendee on the show. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Chase, as always, sir. Yes, enjoyed it. Thanks. If there's something you want us to cover that we're not hitting in these podcasts, please let us know that. You can put it in the chat channel now. You can email me at cab at thinkrevivehealth.com. Um, tomorrow, Jeff Spear is in. He's back as guest host. Uh, he's going to be joined by Josh Schoonover, who has been on uh, our show before. He's SVP and marketing group lead at Revive. Uh, and they're going to talk about patient acquisition. Um, related to our rapid recovery effort. So Chase, make sure they listen to this one since we just said don't use COVID <laughs> testing for patient acquisition. Yep, I got it. Um, or, and re again, remember to use our hub, uh, thinkrevivehealth.com slash COVID-19. Um, you can get a recording of today's episode. You can get the most updated survey results and research we've done that Kevin's been talking about and other content there. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes. Let others know about this podcast. And as we always say, all of you out there in marketing communications at hospitals and health systems, what you're doing is so important. Uh, we know it's a really difficult times for many of you. Just hang in there. Keep doing the fantastic work you're doing. Um, we're here with you. We'll be here with you every weekday until the, the crisis passes. Though, so, Chase, at some point, we're going to have to, like, we're going to have to define, like, crisis. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Depending on the model, like, are we going to do this every day until late 2021, until there's a vaccine? You know, I, it's, a good, it's a good question. I mean, we it can, is. We can kind of, we'll see how it goes, though. Well, it certainly hasn't passed yet. So we're still here with you for the, for the foreseeable future. Um, we appreciate you being with us today. Come back tomorrow. We'll be there. Uh, we look forward to talking to you then. Mm -hmm.